Welcome to Blue Hearts, a podcast for deep conversation. My name is Maggie Guan, and here I interview inspiring individuals, diving into topics like passion, purpose, happiness, self-improvement, and everything in between. With every form of success or accomplishment, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and we are here to show the raw and genuine belief systems, worldviews, and perspectives that lead our guests to put their heart into their work and aim for something bigger than themselves. I hope this podcast will serve to inspire you. So welcome to the sixth episode of the Blue Hearts podcast. Our special guest today is Kristen Fang. Kristen is the founder and college counselor of College Lead, a YouTube channel that provides college application advice and interviews with students to dive deeper into how we can prepare for college. Kristen graduated from Harvard University in 2019 with a degree in computational neuroscience, and currently she works in business operations at a high-growth startup called Cocoon. Her previous experience includes being a co-founder of StratiX, a fintech startup, and an associate technical product manager at Cengage. So thank you so much, Kristen, for meeting with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I'd love to start off by talking about College Lead. What inspired and motivated you to start this channel and what impact are you starving to make? Mm, that's a great question. I would say what really inspired me to get College Lead started was this question, uh, which was, how can I increase access to college prep information? This question was particularly meaningful to me, especially since my parents are immigrants from Taiwan. So when they came to the US and then had kids, aka me and my siblings, they had no context or idea on how the whole American education system works. So we had to teach ourselves from scratch. On top of that was the added challenge that uh, I was homeschooled for about 10 years of my life, and then my younger two siblings were homeschooled for their entire life. So it's not the question was not just a matter of which schools should I send my kids to, but it was more so what textbook should we use, what curriculum should we be using, and what subjects should we focus on? And so having gone through that whole experience and then in college, seeing that there's students from a mixture of backgrounds, whether they come from low-income families or they come from international uh, or they come from other countries beyond the U.S., I realized that there is this huge issue with just getting information to basic college prep uh, guidance that is just so hard to access within the U.S. if you just don't have um, the money for it or if you are not just in the right location. So that's why I started College Lead, and that's why there's such a huge focus uh, for me in College Lead and putting out information on, on YouTube where anyone with internet access can can watch those videos and learn from themselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm actually wondering, because I keep thinking about this for myself as well, so do you really love the process of making these videos, like filming, editing, and everything, or do you more so love the impact that it makes, like your mission? Oh, 100% the impact. I'm not a, a, uh, a videographer or a creative arts person in any way. I do I did play music in, in school, but it's very much more, I think, mathematical and structured than figuring out how do I script a video? How do I create content? How do I edit a video? What kind of background music do I want? And for any listeners, if you take a look at the very first videos I put together, those are very different from what my current videos look like. And I hope that trajectory will continue to be the same even next year as I continue to put out videos. Uh, kind of like what you said, Maggie, what keeps me going is the idea of there may be a student out there who is very high achieving and ambitious, but just doesn't know where to place all their efforts in a strategic way that helps them to maximize their chances of getting into a good college. So that's helping students like those is really what drives me and continues to motivate me to put out content like that. Yeah, I checked out your channel and 
you're like really consistent with posting. So it's really great that the mission really drives you. Um, so in the future, how do you vision college lead? Are there any goals you're trying to hit or projects you're hoping to take on? Mm, that's a good question. I think my focus right now is continuing to put out information through YouTube. And I also do work with students one-on-one. -on -one. I have students who pay me at like standard rates that are still like not going to tear through your wallet as I know a lot of other private institutions have. At the same time, I also offer affordable discounted rates for low-income students, including students who are applying to QuestBridge programs. So if anything, I feel like I'd want to focus my time on scaling the YouTube channel because that's where really anyone can access the information for free as long as they put in the time and effort to watch and study those videos. And then the second effort I probably focus on is those one-on-one -on -one interactions that, that I have with students. Yeah, so which one do you think you prioritize more? Like which one do you find more meaningful? Do you think uh, maybe like one-on-one -on -one interactions um, are more beneficial or putting out content like where many viewers can see it? I think honestly, both, they go very much hand in hand. I think in terms of like being able to reach as many students as possible, YouTube is definitely the best route. There's no way that I have as one person enough time to meet with like 2000 uh, different students um, on a regular basis throughout the year. But through YouTube, I have over 2000 subscribers at this point, and that enables me to reach more students. But at the same time, meeting with students one-on-one -on -one helps me to stay up to date on what questions do folks have. And then if I get asked a question maybe two or three times, there's probably a pretty high chance that other students who are in the U.S. or even beyond have the same question. And then I end up making a video on that, the Capstone Project, my latest video being uh, an example of that. So it really helps me to develop content that's specific to my audience and enables me to better help students. But my one-on-one -on -one time is, is clearly not scalable. So that's why I always try to make YouTube as a core focus of that. Even though in terms of like, let's say if I was doing college lead purely for money, I would be focusing my time more on one-on-one -on -one consultations. But because I really do want to increase access to college prep information, I'm still putting in hours and hours of pretty much like unpaid time to script a video, to write a video, to film it, edit it, and then post it. Um, that takes up like 48 hours or more, as I'm sure you know, because you have your own channel and you don't really get that much money from, from YouTube. But I think for me, it's important to still continue to post on YouTube because that's where more students can, can access the content and learn for themselves. Yeah, that's really great. I think both of them make uh, impact in like different ways. One's a little bit more personal, one you can reach a much wider audience, as you said. So just transitioning to work experience, um, I know you've worked at both Cocoon and Cengage. So what do you think is the value of work and work experience in general? It's kind of broad, but do you think work at these companies has taught you skills that entrepreneurship doesn't really cover? Mm, that's a good question. I would say definitely yes. There's a lot of skills that you can gain from building your own company and starting something of your own. But there's some skills that building your own company can't really teach you. For instance, how do you run an HR organization? How do you interact with a giant marketing team and a giant engineering team when you don't really have one at a startup? On the other hand, there are experiences that you learn from building your own company that you can't really get at a larger company like SunGage that has around four or 5,000 employees and full on teams and processes in place. So I think it's really a matter of what kind of skill set do you want to build and what are you most interested in learning? And that's how you can think about 
optimizing your career and making your career decisions. Yeah, definitely. So from what I've seen, it seems like Cengage is a larger company while Cocoon is a high growth startup. So could you tell us about the differences in working at these two companies, uh, like maybe the differences in environment or experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say so right now, Cocoon is around 10 people right now, uh, and they're only about a year old, but we're growing very fast. But it still is a very different experience from thinking I am one tenth of the company or the personnel at Cocoon versus I'm one of 5,000 people at SunGage. So if I don't show up to my job one day at SunGage, the company is going to be fine. They're still going to do well and operate, but the impact might be greater at Cocoon. So the, the experiences and responsibility that you get will be very different. So for instance, in terms of the amount of work that you have and the amount of impact that you have, you're probably going to get more work, but higher impact at a smaller company versus at a larger company. On the other hand, if like having all of that stress from making so much impact in a company is something that you, someone might not be ready for at this point in their career, then a larger company is certainly the place to go. And there's also just another aspect of those processes that you learn at a larger company. For instance, how do PM folks normally um, con converse or communicate with marketing teams, the sales teams and the engineering teams? versus at a small company where you probably know the engineers on the team at a personal level. So there's different skill sets that that you build at a larger company versus a, a smaller company. Yeah, and is there a particular environment that you prefer a little bit more or push you to grow more uh, and why? Mm, I think that's a good question. I would say Sengage definitely pushed me to learn in certain ways that a startup doesn't, but also vice versa. But for me, um, having built my own startup before, I was very interested in learning how do I grow a team from one person to maybe eventually 50. And I think that's a particular skill set and very much like growth focus that I was very interested in. And I found that I couldn't get at a large company. It's not necessarily like a good or a bad thing. Like if I wanted to learn how does a large company work and perhaps take on less risk in my career, then I would stay at a larger company. But for me, I'm just very curious on how do high growth startups succeed and what is working on a team where I'm like one tenth of like the personnel, what does that look like? And um, I think for my career goals and my interests, working at a smaller company at this point in my career made a little bit more sense. I'm also, because of early on in my career, I am in the position where I can take more risks and join a smaller company as opposed to moving to, to a larger company where like job security is pretty much just there. Like if I don't show up again, the, the company will still exist. Mm -hmm. May not be the case for a startup where everything is so fast paced. Yeah, so could you please like describe or elaborate on the lifestyle of working at a smaller company, like the entire startup life, and maybe how that has changed your outlook? I would say the perspective that has changed is not really dependent on necessarily the company size, but more so what the company is doing. So for instance, I think Sungage is an incredible company to work at, and they're particularly innovative in the ed tech space. They started something called SunGage Unlimited, which gives students and also teachers the access to basically unlimited uh, materials and courseware from SunGage at a flat rate per semester or per year. And that kind of pricing model is unheard of within traditional education where a textbook can cost you upwards of $400. So having a subscription at a rate of $100 or less, I forgot the exact price, but it was 
way less than half of like $400. Um, and having that be like accessible to, to students financially was pretty much unheard of, but Sengage still spearheaded and led that. So I think that's something that I cared very deeply about. And that's what drew me to Sengage in the first place. And the fact that they are an educational technology company, but they're actually dedicated to increase um, access to educational materials in a way that also can sustain a business like Sengage. So then you kind of have that loop where Sengage will make enough money so that they can continue to make great learning materials for students, but they're also not going to like charge students an arm and a leg to get a textbook. And I think similarly for Cocoon, what Cocoon is focused on is making that experience or journey of taking leave as an employee very seamless and smooth. So one example is parental leave. I, and obviously early in my career, not married, um, but something that I've learned through my work at Cocoon is it's incredibly difficult to um, get paid when you go on parental leave. Because when you go on maternity leave, for instance, you, and if you are pregnant, then you qualify for short-term disability payments, as well as potential payments from the state and also from the Fed and from your company, so, or your employer. So now your payments come from like three different sources, but that means you need to file for payment from like many different sources as well. And so that's something that Cocoon is really working to, to smooth and ease up um, in terms of just making it much easier for prospective parents to um, go on parental leave and be able to focus on their family at these important milestones in their life versus worrying about, have I already filed a claim with Prudential or with Guardian or MetLife? What is the status of my claim? Do I need to make any other corrections? Did I file in time? And so I think there's those two missions of the two companies that I have worked or am working at have certainly changed my perspective in terms of opening my eyes to other challenges that folks face and then being able to understand, ah, oh, this is a solution that works to not only sustain a business, but then also to make an impact on, on the customers. Yeah, I love how the mission and the values of the company are what attracts you and that you really connect with this company culture. And I also love how you embarked on the startup journey during college in founding Stratiex. So how has founding a company impacted your worldview, changed your perspectives, and pushed you to grow as a person? I think the number one thing I learned from building a startup is it gave me confidence in my ability to learn things very quickly. So when you're building a startup, as I'm sure you're well aware from your own experience in entrepreneurship, um, you kind of have to do everything yourself. There's no team that does marketing for you. There's no team that does engineering for you, does sales and does um, it, like logistics. It's, it's all you. And so for anyone going into building a startup, you're going to have to learn how to market from zero to one basically. And similarly with all other needs that your business might have. So what working on a startup in college taught me is I can know zero about how to pitch to investors, but at the end of that experience, I can be confident in not only my ability to learn how to pitch to investors, but also in my ability to actually successfully pitch to investors. And I think that's a theme that I've carried forward with me. I've always struggled with how do I have a delicate balance or a healthy balance between confidence and humility, right? And I found that balance to be, I can be confident in my ability to learn very quickly and to acknowledge uh, I may not be doing things in the most productive way possible. So I'm always going to be flexible and learn how do I do things in a better way. Um, so it's that idea of being confident in my ability to learn and to iterate really quickly. And I think that's the number one thing that I've learned from startups, if anything. 
Yeah. Um, and I've read your two articles about lessons learned from the experience, and I think they're really impactful. Um, I'll definitely leave the links in the description. I've also technically started a failed company, and I know it's really hard to show vulnerability. So what inspired you to share your story with the rest of the world? <laughs> I think the story itself is probably a little less inspiring. It definitely was not easy, but I think that was certainly one of the low points in my career that I experienced. Um, because the startup was something I had worked so hard on. And it's hard to see something that you put a lot of work into fail. But that's pretty much like reality. Hard work will not guarantee you success. Your, kind, your role is just to make sure that whenever you are lucky, you have hard work to back that and are prepared to take advantage of that. So anyways, that's a whole other topic. But what got me interested in writing those articles in the first place, I think I was just at a low point in my like career and also mental health. And I felt like I needed to take some time to reflect on the experience and really realize, wow, I've learned so much from this. And here are all the positives that I can take away from this experience. So I wrote mostly just for myself in terms of reflection. And then I thought, oh, I might as well just like share this in case that there's like a couple of other people who might find this interesting as well. Um, and then it somehow blew up. I don't know how, <laughs> but I'm really glad that sort of um, that realness and like probably rawness that I felt at that moment in time really resonated with a lot of other founders. And I've actually had um, some of my friends and even recently uh, some of my YC peers uh, reach out to me saying like, I think my startup might also be in a similar position to yours. What advice do you have? And they would always say, thank you for sharing this because it's nice to know that someone else went through this situation and that it was still okay because the thing about working on your own startup, as I'm sure you've experienced yourself, is you're kind of working in a silo, especially if your business is just yourself. So it can really feel like the world is ending if it's your startup that's failing because it's probably just you and your team. But in reality, there's like thousands of other startups probably going through a similar position, especially given that most startups fail. So I think it's that aspect of community that probably helped other founders resonate with that article as well and knowing that it's going to be okay you also learned a lot you've done as probably done as much as you could and then see your life will still go on after this and there's a lot of positives to take away from from that experience yeah I like the idea that we're not alone and also like a failure is also definitely a success because you just simply learn and grown so much during the experience so you guys should definitely check out the college leads youtube channel and Kristen's personal website which is kristinfang.com and i'll make sure to link everything in the description so now we're actually going to take a quick break from the deep questions and i'm going to ask three more practical questions related to time management and self-improvement so Kristen, how do you manage your time? Is there a particular planning, calendar, and or organizational system that works best for you? That's a good question. I would say I do use my Google Calendar a lot. I often joke that Google Calendar rules my life, but it's also not so strict where I'll block out like work time for this or this. Um, I kind of have in my mind weekdays I will focus on my full-time job, which is working at Cocoon, the startup. And then on weekends and occasionally on Friday evenings or Thursday evenings, I'll work on college lead, whether that's meeting with students one-on-one, -on -one, brainstorming the idea for my next video, um, working on college leads newsletter or Slack channel or something like that. So I kind of do have those um, general buckets of time. But I think the most difficult part of time management is keeping things consistent and making sure that you 
are able to develop a routine and have a regular time commitment to each activity. So I feasibly, given my limited time as just a single person, can really only focus on like two or three main things at a given time point. So one is my full-time job, second is college lead. Third one is probably like my relationships, whether that's with my family or my close friends. And so that's kind of how I think about it. I think the idea of quality over quantity is something that I really do follow. Like if I'm going to do college lead, I'm gonna make sure it's like as well as I can make it given the time that I have. And I won't try to spread that time too thinly across like four or five different activities. So if anything, I do structure my week somewhat in terms of the what I focus my time on per day. And then more granularly, what keeps me going on a regular basis is I think the mission that I work towards both in Cocoon and then also through College Lead, as well as just the people and customers I get to interact with and help. Yeah, that's really nice. I'm wondering how you balance work with your other pursuits. We already kind of touched on this, but um, do you think there's one that you prioritize more um, and why? Mm. By other pursuits, do you mean stuff like college lead or like fun side projects like learning how to code? I would say both. Yeah. So any like other major pursuits outside of work? Mm -hmm. I will say I started college lead last year, again, with that same goal of increasing access to college prep information. And I think right now it's probably my main, if we want to use a similar term, like main extracurricular. I do have small hobbies outside of that. So for example, I learned uh, JavaScript and then React in two months and then worked on building the website that you mentioned earlier, kristenfang.com, um, in another month after that, or honestly over a weekend. Um, so those are things that I've always wanted to know how to do, know how to code, for instance, and build my own web application. And yeah, I right now I don't actively code on like a weekly basis, but I can certainly pick it up if I'd like to. Um, I think it was more at that point in time, I wanted to develop a skill that I could be proud of and also just be able to, uh, I don't know, develop my competence and my skill set as well. So that's something that I was just personally very interested in. Certainly wasn't easy to do on top of managing college lead and a full-time job, as well as a couple of other things. But I think it's, again, that idea of um, making sure that I'm truly motivated to do something and will build in a routine that, that reflects that. Yeah, that actually ties really well into our next question, which is, um, how are you working on self-improvements? Are there uh, skills or hobbies that you're investing your time into? Mm, I would say right now, I don't really have time to take on any other hobbies other than what I'm working on with College Lead, as well as in my full-time job, because there's a lot to do at the startup. Mm -hmm. I would say in terms of personal improvement, I'm always working to expand my skill set. So I'm helping out with some marketing efforts at the startup, even though my main role is in business operations. So that's one, I guess, side skill that I'm picking up, though not fully dedicated to, because again, the idea of quality over quantity, I'll focus on my full-time role and main responsibilities first and foremost. Um, and then in terms of like improvements or personal improvements, I think there's ways that I can continue to improve both in my full-time job, but then also in other aspects outside of that. One being like communication, especially in the age of Zoom, where it's difficult to pick up on cues like body language. So you have to depend a lot more on the tone of voice that you use. How do you communicate over Slack or an email? And something that I always have on top of mind. And for instance, how do I um, ask for feedback in an effective way and learn exactly how, how I can grow? So those are probably my main focuses right now, but that will always continue to change and evolve.
So welcome to the second half of our episode where we're going to dive deeper into broader and abstract philosophical topics like purpose and happiness. Kristen, what do you believe is the value of education? How would you define lifelong learning? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I can succinctly answer that in just like a couple of minutes or one response. I think I love education as a way to learn. I'm not necessarily fond of the education system per se on putting students on a grade level, but I definitely am very passionate about education and making sure that students do have access to um, pursue a higher education and know how to through, through stuff like College Lead. Um, in terms of lifelong learning, that's something I'm really passionate about and personally really enjoy. I do not think that learning needs to stop after you finish schooling. It could continue um, even beyond. So an example is I studied neuroscience in college. I did a little bit of coding, but really took like two classes. And most of my coding was in MATLAB or in Python for data science purposes. I didn't actually know how to code a web application. So um, on a whim, I've always wanted to learn how to code and web applications. So I just started to take online classes and I learned JavaScript in one month and React in another. And then I built my own personal website and that was a really fun experience. I did not do that for recruiting. I didn't do that for a grade, no one assigned it to me, but it was something that I've always wanted to do. And so I just did it. So I don't think that learning needs to stop um, after you graduate from college or even from high school. And probably one of the best things about learning after you get those degrees is um, you can just learn what you are passionate about and what you want and not necessarily whatever class is part of a, a major requirement for, for graduation. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's like so much we can learn from just reading books and like YouTube videos, like your channel. Um, and there's just so many resources out there and like a lot of like free courses online as well. So how have you found the discipline to be consistent on everything you're working on? Do you think that discipline is more important or setting a system where you maintain motivation? Mm, that's a good question. I would say don't depend on motivation because kind of like that New Year's uh, resolution where everyone says, I'm going to get fit. And then the gym is like super crowded January and February, but then no one shows up in November-ish. I think that's the problem or a prime example of the problem on depending only on motivation. And in that case, I would even challenge some people and ask, did you really want to get fit if you're not actually building a regular schedule or doing exercise in a sustainable way that allows you to actually become more fit? So I think there's sort of two parts to that, which is one, what do you actually want? And, and then second of all, what sort of system can you set up or routine can you set up that gives you opportunity to continue to work towards that goal even on days where you really feel like you just don't want to do it. So I guess an example is I could have just said, ah, oh, yes, I want to learn how to code. Um, and then on weeks where I had really bad work days, as in like just long hours and I was exhausted, on the weekends, I just want to like watch TV and relax. But um, I did make a concerted effort to build into my schedule, like at least on the weekends, I'm going to spend two hours on coding. Like, I don't care how much I get done. I'm just going to make it a routine. And that's what really helps me to reach my goal in such a short amount of time on top of everything else I was managing. And that's an example of, oh, I actually really wanted to code. So I'm going to make that happen versus in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, I always want to go back and just like relearn Chinese because I learned that's growing up, but I've forgotten all of it but I haven't actually made a structured plan to, to learn it. And so for the last, I don't know, eight, eight years, I still have not learned it. I do plan to at some point in time, um, once work dies down a little bit, but 
that's something I want to do. Haven't set up a system yet. And so I, I've not been actually working towards that goal. So I think for anyone listening, it's more a matter of understanding what do you actually want to get done? When do you want to get that done? And what sort of system works so that you will still work towards that goal, even on days when you really don't feel like doing it. I'm also curious about your own experience. Like I'm sure you picked up a lot of skills, even podcasting. How do you deal with that aspect of motivation? Yeah, so um, I feel like during quarantine, motivation has been, it's been like really tough for me. I feel like I've been burnt out for a really long time. Um, and I'm trying to just be consistent by doing like the small things, like one small thing at a time. Um, I think I was like watching this like series on building habits, um, because, you know, habits are like the building blocks of your, your daily routine and it's important to maintain them. Um, and I'm trying to like set one small habit, um, at a time. And then once I get down that habit, then I'll keep building off of it. So right now it's currently listening to just like one podcast episode per day, uh, like one motivational podcast episode. And then it's really cool. I think it's like called habit stacking. So um, once you get down one habit, like a lot of other habits that are associated will start building on top of each other. So now when I'm listening to the episode, I'm also stretching. Um, I go on a walk and everything just like becomes better, like one small step at a time. I love that. And that's like definitely... Um, achievable if you think of it like step by step. For instance, in my coding, if I said, oh, I want to code the web app by next week, there's no way I could get that done. <laughs> but if it's let's learn JavaScript and then by the end of this week, let's learn how, how a job, what a JavaScript object is, then that's totally achievable. I like, I really like the idea of how you break things down into smaller bite-sized pieces that are achievable in the short term that make you feel accomplished as you continue to build up to your broader goal. Yeah, and I really like how you brought up the idea of a system as well, just like doing two hours per weekend. So yeah, have you like implemented these systems in all like all aspects of your life? Like, are you trying to maintain um, like a routine that you follow every single day? Mm, kind of, but I'm not like a super routine kind of person. I kind of eat meals on an irregular schedule depending on when I'm hungry. I'm not tied to like, oh, I must do coding within these two specific hours, like 2 to 4 p.m. on weekends. I'll kind of just do it whenever I, I get the chance to. Um, so I'm flexible in that regard. But uh, let's say that my goal is to learn JavaScript by the end of uh, this month, then I'll make sure that I can get all the lessons done at, at some point in time. So I'm a little more flexible in that way, but that's also just how I work. There's some people who like a lot more structure and there's some people who really don't like structure. So I think it's a matter for any listeners out there understanding what works for you and what kind of learner or kind of like uh, habit builder are you and then really leaning into that and then um, leveraging that to you to your advantage yeah I think same with me for like the flexibility aspect it's like we're humans not robots and some <laughs> some days I have like completely different moods than like the day before so I'm always like changing things up as well uh, when are you the happiest and why oh that's a good question Obviously, I'm usually very happy when I spend time with with close friends and, and family. So I'm often happy then, but obviously you'll always argue with people who are close to you. So those are definitely the, the down parts, but that's just like part of life, right? I think in terms of work, I'm really happy once I've like finished achieving a goal, whether it's a small skill. In that example of coding, for instance, after I finished all the lessons on JavaScript objects and I built one of my own, I felt like I got a good handle of the the, the concept, I was like, yes, good job, Kristen, you did it. 
or after I post a college lead video that I've been working on the last couple of days, I do get that sense of like accomplishment and ability to just kind of check the box in my mental sort of checklist for whenever I finish a project at, at work. So that's why for me, having a big goal that I aim towards, for instance, learning how to code or growing and scaling college lead, but then also having those smaller um, little check marks I can sort of pat myself on the back for, whether it's posting a video, um, hitting like a subscriber mark or um, reaching a smaller goal in one of my hobby projects. I think that's what also helps to keep me motivated. How about you? Yeah, I would actually like really agree with what you're saying. Like I need kind of like the bigger goals, um, like the bigger vision to also like keep me motivated, but also like the small things as well. Like with coding, I'm honestly like really interested in coding and just um, getting down like small sections of code, even something as small as that, it does like bring satisfaction and all that. When am I the happiest in general? This is really random, but I really love public speaking and just like when I'm in front of an audience and I'm able to like present a speech and like use my voice to to hopefully inspire that's when it's like I'm so happy <laughs> like uh I love speaking in front of an audience mm, I can certainly see that and even you do that through through your podcast as well yeah it's really nice to just share your voice and I love how like Gus like you can share your story as well because a lot of the points are always really meaningful and I'm sure like listeners can get something from it mm-hmm mm-hmm this is a classic one, but in your opinion, what do you think is the meaning of life? Oh gosh, I don't know if I have to be honest, still figuring that out. And I'm even wondering, is there a single meaning to life? I think what I'm focusing on is something a little less abstract and more tangible in terms of like, here are my goals for the next year or next two years. I don't know where I'll be like career-wise or even geography-wise the next five years or even 10 years from now, much less the meaning of life on a broader sense or scale. So I think for me, it's just working towards the short-term goals that I have and then just continuing to work towards the maybe not lifelong goals, but more like, I guess, like five-year, 10-year goals that I have in my mind, if if that's even something that I have. Yeah, I don't think I even have like five or 10-year goals. That's just so far out. And I'm someone who works with bite-sized pieces that are more tangible than anything. So We'll see. Maybe I'll eventually get to that point of planning, but at the moment, I'm just focused on the present. How about you? Yeah, um, the meaning of life. Okay, I feel like uh, I was listening to this podcast, and it's really interesting because um, she said that a lot of people think the meaning of life is just to find happiness, but she thinks that the meaning of life is to live your purpose, and then happiness comes as a byproduct, which I think mm. is a really good point. What do you think is your purpose then? Yeah, um, honestly, like related to the idea of like using my voice, uh, hopefully inspiring, but I think another element would also be connecting people, um, just like fostering relationships, whether it's like like me talking to someone else or just having other people get to know people from around the world, um, because I feel like human connection is just an amazing thing. And, you know, like the there was like a study done on happiness and like it was like the greatest factor contributing towards happiness is like your relationships. So I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would certainly agree. And I think that's why when we talked about sort of what I focus on, like the third thing, not necessarily in order of priority, but one of those will always be like focusing on continuing to develop relationships with my family and then also with my close friends. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how would you describe your best friend? And 
What do you think brings this genuine and meaningful friendship? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I would say best friend because it feels weird to like peg my friends against each yeah, other and then true. pick like the best one out of them. <laughs> but I'll say that I've had a friend who I have been close to ever since like middle school, which is insane given that we were both homeschooled at the time. I think we were writing, uh, uh, we were taking a class on like ancient Mesopotamia or something. It was in the classical education system. So a lot of Latin and like history there. Um, but we were writing letters to each other in like Greek. I don't know. I don't even know if it was like real Greek. It was just like translated. This is an A in Greek and et cetera. So we we did we started off as like pen pals that way through an assigned course. But honestly, just like hit it off since then. And we were both like, I guess, super nerdy in in school. So we kind of related to each other more than our peers, to be honest. Um, we went to different colleges, but even now post-grad, um, she's working on getting her PhD and in plant biology. And then I've obviously started my career. So we're very different people like career-wise, but we still like talk very often. Um, we saw each other like probably once or twice during COVID, obviously like socially distanced masks and all that. But um, yeah, that's one of my, my close friends. And I think for me, it's more important to have fewer but closer friends than to have many but like more surface level like connections. Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree. Honestly, I would ha I would be happy just having like one or two really close friends. If you could only choose one, would you rather live a startup life with a lot of uncertainty and risk but guaranteed fulfillment or live a very stable and comfortable life with a full-time job at a big corporation? Oh, that's a good question. So if I was young, like I am now, I would definitely say the startup life. If I was older with like pr probably like more responsibilities, like if my parents needed help for their retirement or if I like I had a family, then oh my gosh, stable job. <laughs> so I think it depends on where I am at my point of life. If it's really just me and I didn't have other worries, I'd definitely do the startup life. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Um, I think same actually. <laughs> I would agree with you on a lot of these questions. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to end with a speed round. So each answer could be a few words to a sentence long and feel free to elaborate if you'd like. So what is one thing about you that you wish others knew that they may not currently know? So if people who know me at like more of a surface level, I probably want them to know I'm an empathetic uh, introvert. As in, I love spending time with people, but if it's in a group setting of more than 10 or 15 people, I probably can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I prefer to just talk in like smaller groups on more of like a one-on-one -on -one setting or like four or five people. Um, so if I come across as looking pretty tired or just like kind of like out of it in very large group settings, please don't take it personally. I'm just an introvert and I get exhausted by <laughs> a lot of like group settings, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, me too. Um, what brings you the most happiness or fulfillment? Friends and family and then achieving my small goals in terms of my hobbies. Yeah. What are three words that you would use to describe yourself? Oh gosh, um, forgetful, I lose things all the time. Um, ambitious, I really like to learn. I think the other one is nerdy. I, I like learning because it's it's fun and that may be nerdy. Um, I also like watching a lot of TV shows and anime, so maybe also nerdy in that way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I think like loving to learn, I think that's like, that's like an amazing gift because you can grow so much. What is your all-time favorite book and why? Ooh, that's a hard one. I have many different um, favorite books. One that I'm actually reading right now, I think it's called Think Again. It's by Adam Grant. I got into listening to his podcast, which is amazing. And any listener should check it out. Um, his name is just Adam Grant. But his book, I think it's called Think Again, um, really encourages 
uh, folks, even like adults who have been in a career for like 10 plus years to take on the growth mindset and know that your set way of doing things may not be the best way of doing things and always being open to learn. And I think that's something that I want to keep as I continue to progress in my career. If a genie could grant you one wish, what would you wish for? Oh, financial freedom. <laughs> I wish I had enough money so that my friends and family don't have to worry about buying a car, paying off mortgage, their loans. I think once you don't have to worry about money problems, that frees you up a lot to pursue your true hobbies and be able to, I guess, travel and see more of the world. Yeah, definitely. Is there a quote we're saying that you build your life philosophy off of or really resonates with you? Mm. My mom always told me that the largest room in the world is the room for improvement. And I think that feeds into a lot of the, the work that I do and the mindset that I have. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I had a blast talking to Kristen and I really learned a lot from our conversation. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed listening. You can follow us at Blue Hearts Pod on Instagram for updates and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye everyone.